All right. Welcome to episode 81 of Tyler Geis's Basement. I believe for you Spotify listeners, it's probably episode like 79 or something or 78 because way back when, when we started doing this show, I think there was like a week or two that uh, for some reason it didn't air on Spotify and I still can't explain that to anybody, but that is not what today's episode is all about and I'm going to jump right in and do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Like three months ago, I think I did an episode completely devoted to uh, the streaming platform that some of you may have heard of, some of you may have not have heard of. I'm talking about Kino Cult, uh, the Kino Lorber streaming platform. They put a lot of like cool underground cult films up there, and there was a positive response to it. And so I, I kind of th- was thinking a little bit. I was doing some thinking of kind of the streaming platforms that are out there that nobody's really giving a lot of attention to. Well, I don't want to say nobody because that's kind of rude. That's wrong, uh, disrespectful, because obviously people are looking at these platforms and watching stuff on there. But, um, you know, it's not your Netflixes, it's not your Hulus, your Disney Pluses, your HBO Maxes, your Paramount Pluses, your Peacocks, your Amazon Prime. Am I missing any of them? (laughs) I, I don't I don't know. I, there's just every everybody has a streaming platform now. It used to be, oh, just catch it next day on demand or whatnot. Um, but everybody, every every hub, every network, every big media conglomerate has their own streaming platform, as they rightfully should. But or maybe they shouldn't. I don't I don't know. Like time will tell what's going to happen with all this stuff that's out there for us to watch. This is obviously a common theme of the basement. Because we watch movies on the basement, we talk movies on the basement, we talk TV shows on the basement, and today it's just me talking about it. And But back to what I was kind of getting at here. Uh, so with that Kino Cult episode, there was a pretty positive response. I guess I turned some viewers onto it who kind of like their underground weird shit, and uh, like me, of course I do. And I, I think I was listening to, good God, I don't even know what podcast it was anymore, but someone mentioned... A streaming platform called Midnight Pulp. Now, Midnight Pulp, I think, is free to anyone, but you can sign up for like an upgrade for stuff that, you know, you, you can't get for the free, um, for when you use it for free. And I also think it's ad based, so when you sign up for free, it, you get the ads, and I think maybe when you upgrade, um, you I think it's ad free. Not sure about that. Don't hold me to that. But I heard about Midnight Pulp a while back. And just the name alone kind of was like, ooh, what the fuck is that? And I looked into it, and it was like a free download for the app on my phone. There's Obviously, you can get the streaming platform as well on your TV. And actually, I, I have two TVs in my house. I have the one in the living room for everybody and the one upstairs in our loft that is a Samsung smart TV that I try to kind of direct any guests we have to, to staying up there and watching TV so nobody's just congregating in my living room for 12 hours anyway moving on um uh there's i guess like a channel like midnight pulp has a channel on this smart tv which i thought was kind of cool and there's just a lot of cool movies on there today what i'm getting at here is i'm actually gonna be talking about two streaming services but they're kind of under the same umbrella midnight pulp is one of them the other one is a, a streaming platform called retro crush which i am 
I'm an anime guy, as you know. I, I love retro anime. I love throwback, like late 70s, 80s, throughout the 90s anime. Like that's kind of my bag. I'm not hating on the new anime, but it just it just doesn't really unless it's Studio Ghibli or Studio Ghibli, as I think we call it. Hopefully listeners get the reference to that joke from a few weeks ago. Anybody? Um, (laughs) uh, Unless it's that or like Attack on Titan. Like, I don't know. It's hard for me to kind of get down with it. I know there's some cool modern contemporary animes out there, but I love the retro anime and Retro Crush is all anime from that era. And it just like Midnight Pulp, it's free it, unless you want to upgrade. But the thing what I'm getting at here with these two streaming platforms, even if you don't upgrade, and I know maybe somebody who works there might be listening uh, to this, maybe, maybe not, you're still getting a lot of stuff for free is what I'm kind of getting at here. Like a lot, like a lot of stuff you can plow through. Now, like I just mentioned, uh, Retro Crush and Midnight Pulp are under the same umbrella. I think they're, they're owned by the same company called Digital Media Rights. I believe they're, I'm just looking at some some stuff here, some, some stuff I wrote down. Uh, I think they're based in New York City, but they just kind of acquired these like different streaming platforms. And um, they own a few different ones. I, a lot of their target audience seems very uh, Asian. There's one called Asian Crush, which, again, I think is an anime thing. A couple other ones that I think are they're trying to appeal to overseas crowds and whatnot. And um, But Midnight Pulp and Retro Crush are under the digital media rights umbrella. Like You'll see their logo a lot on these streaming platforms. So... Um, yeah, so like you know, you can log into Midnight Pulp and you'll see like also what's playing on Retro Crush if you want to switch over to that app if you're looking at on your phone or something. I don't want to get too technical here because I'm not actually here to talk about the technicality of these streaming platforms. I'm here to talk about like the cool movies and TV shows even you can find on them that you're not going to find on your Netflixes, you're not going to find on your Hulus, your Disney Pluses, your Paramount Pluses, your HBO Maxes, your Peacocks, your Amazon Primes. Did I say them all again? I can't remember. I feel like those are the major players. So it's good to kind of have these two, like, you know, multiple ones. There's, there's other small streaming platforms here and there, but like, these two ones just really were my bag. So let me just start one by one here. So let me just say here on today's show, I have been watching a lot of stuff on these streaming platforms. And may I add, nobody from Digital Media Rights is paying me to say this. Don't get me wrong, I'm going to tweet at them once this episode drops. And I'll see if, I don't know, they send me some free shit. But uh, yeah, I'm not paid at all. I just I just discovered it and was a fan of the, the films and TV shows that they've been curating and putting on their platform. And I wanted to come on the show today and pretty much give my my favorite three I've been watching on Midnight Pulp, and maybe it shouldn't even be my favorites. It's just kind of recent ones I wanted to maybe talk about to maybe turn audiences onto it. And I also want to do three from Retro Crush, so I'm going to be blabbering a lot here, but I'll try not to blabber too, too, too much. Um, But anyway, before I get going, I'm going to start with Midnight Pulp here. And I think the vibe of midnight pulp is just kind of midnight movies stuff that you know you just don't see everywhere um they switch their stuff up there's a lot of kind of you see a lot of these like weird obscure like you can tell like straight to dvd action films 
that are kind of my bag. Um, but then they, again, I think, you know, they pull in a lot of stuff from Asian, Asian cinema and whatnot, and some classics even. Like right now, they have a sci-fi fantasy section, and they have a lot of the, like, original Godzilla films from the 60s and 70s on there. And, I mean, how the fuck, why the fuck wouldn't you want to watch uh, some Godzilla movies? <laughs> I mean, it's just... It's classic. They do have a film on there called Siege, which is also streaming on Shudder. And it is, this is such a fun little B-movie exploitation film that um, was filmed in Canada in the 1980s. Uh, It has a really crazy plot that, honestly, like a lot of people could probably identify with today. Well, let me just say the plot. It's about a local group of right-wing vigilantes who go to a underground gay bar and they massacre the the patrons. Um, but there's a survivor of this who seeks residence at a apartment, and then it kind of turns into that, a siege film, where the residents in the apartment are now, like, in a shooting match at their apartment complex with um, these right-wing vigilante guys outside. So it's got, like, kind of this maybe you tongue-in-cheek kind of plot, but I, the payoff on this and to see the villains really get their ass handed to them is a lot of fun. Um, th- that's just one thing. And, and you know, just scrolling through some more stuff, obviously they have a, they have films like, um, the stepfather from the 1980s, kind of a fun domesticated horror thriller. That's was remade a few, t- a few times. I think, I don't know. I mean, I think it was only remade once. Um, iconic drive-in grindhouse film, horror film pieces is on there. Uh, Highlander is on there. Also, another cool thing that they've been noticing lately, and I'm going to talk about one in a little bit. They've been throwing a lot of those like 70s and 80s sci-fi action exploitation films that supposedly takes place in the future that are produced in Italy. Uh, Things like Strike Commando 2. And I say that not even knowing if there's a Strike Commando 1. I I don't know, but those those sci-fi exploitation Italian films are just like really fucking cool, actually reason being is because they have like really awesome cover art and but the movie never does it justice i feel i i just kind of feel like you you don't really get what you paid for or whatever you don't really get what you're you think you're going into when you watch films like that um another one is Endgame, which is a lot of fun and um i'm gonna stop right there on that kind of genre because i'm gonna talk about one in a minute because i watched it and it's it's like one of my favorites of that subgenre. They have the great, really fun uh, female prisoner films. Uh, female Prisoner 701, Scorpion, uh, Female Prisoner, uh, The Jailhouse. Uh, those are kind of cool little um, underground Asian films. Uh, you got kind of classics of the Italian giallo, like Dario Argento's Deep Red is on there. Blood and Black Lace is on there. Um, yeah, th- those are obviously really visually striking films. Two of my favorite films, and there's one's a sequel of the other, uh, from you know Asian kung fu cinema, and these are just like it's just a beautiful film. Uh, the The Bride with White Hair and The Bride with White Hair Two is on there. Uh, what the fuck else do we got going on here? Uh, there's an exploitation section, uh, Doctor of Doom. They they have a lot of like old exploitation films from like the 40s and 50s, and the night even far back as like the 1930s in there as well. Um, robot ninja in there. 
uh, Golden Temple Amazons, which I believe is another one of those uh, crazy Italian films. <laughs> um, it's just, it, there's just, like I said, the name Midnight Pulp. Like, you should know, be able to break that down and kind of know what you're getting out of this streaming platform and like with the kind of movies you're going to get you're going to get kind of your lot of midnight movies that aren't bad films but they're just they have something they have a quality about them that yeah they're not really meant for mainstream audiences but people can still really get into them and i think and i think you know this is a streaming platform that knows who they're marketing towards with something called midnight pulp so with that being said i picked three films off of this streaming platform that I just kind of wanted to blabber about and maybe see if I can turn you on to it because um like I said uh you can just sign up for free for them first up on my list here today is a film called Gorgo now Gorgo is 76 minutes in length and um it was produced in England although the actors are American but it's it's in a it's a UK production um, and released in 1961, and let me just say up front, this movie is probably one of the more well-known Godzilla ripoffs of all time. I mean, the name almost even is kind of Godzilla-esque. They try to maybe have the monster look like Godzilla a little bit, but not too much. They give him kind of like a very demonic look as well i felt um, but i'd always heard about this movie and uh if i stumbled across i think it's on a few other like streaming platforms i think it's on tubi right now also if you happen to want to check it out over there um but this takes place in the united kingdom or actually it takes place in uh, london for the most part beginning of the film actually supposedly takes place off the coast of ireland a uh, plot of this movie is a, a group of sailors are salvaging treasure off the coast of ireland actually and um they're i think they're looking for something off like a sinking ship and a volcano erupts now i haven't been to ireland i have plans i almost went to ireland and then coronavirus happened but i do have plans to maybe visit ireland uh next year maybe we'll see how it goes but um i didn't know there were volcanoes in ireland or i could be wrong it's been a about a month since I've seen this. I don't know if the volcano was like one of those underwater volcano things, but the volcano eruption has supposedly awoken something, a giant sea creature. Now this batch of sailors find a way to basically wrangle up this sea creature and tie it down to, you know, a flatbed ship. I mean, it's a big sea creature. It, it, what I mean by sea creature is this thing basically kind of looks like Godzilla, but it's not, I mean, everybody knows the kind of iconic image of Godzilla, even from the older films in Japan uh, to anything up to Godzilla, King of the Monsters from a couple of years ago. But this kind of has like a, like I said, like kind of just like a different feel to it. Looks like it came from the depths of hell, but it's also just a guy in a suit. Uh, I mean, you know how these films were made special effects wise back in the 1950s and 1960s. But back to the plot. They capture this sea creature, bring it to London, and, you know, scientists begin to examine it. They give it the name Gorgo, but then they also learn that um, Gorgo, this giant creature, is um, very is actually a child, they discover. So, therefore, now comes the problem of 
its mother is probably out there looking for it. And its mother finds its way to England and tracks it down and attacks the city of London. So then it kind of turns into what we see in the Godzilla films where Godzilla attacks, you know, Tokyo and whatnot. And I am going to go a little spoilery here because we see these in these giant monster movies. You kind of wonder like, oh, are they going to, are they going to kill the monster or something? No, Mama Gorgo and Gorgo, whatever we want to call them, end up walking back into the sea just fine after they've demolished the city of London and roll the credits. Now, look, this isn't the greatest monster film in the world, but I think people know it really well because it kind of was that, like, you know, American, UK, whatever we want to call it. It's a joint production, uh, kind of ripping off Godzilla and, you know, the success of that film franchise kicking off. And uh, people wanted to, you know, make your ripoffs. I mean, the the ultimate compliment in the film industry is people is imitation. And everybody wanted to make a giant monster movie in the 1950s and 1960s because they became such a cash machine because of something like Godzilla. So Gorgo was kind of a thing really close to that. Um, The film's fun. It's pretty fun. It's entertaining. But it's one of those movies where... I mean, I watch it now, older, like I'm sure if I saw this as a kid, it'd be like, whoa, giant sea monster, oh no, run for the hills. And honestly, the the characters, the, the human beings in it, the the people are absolutely horrible. Let me just capture a giant sea creature. There's nothing really motivated behind why they want to capture this sea creature. It's just, you know, kind of stuff rehashed again. But I just thought these characters were just awful and rude (laughs) why fucking capture a giant sea creature i mean just try and kill it or something if it's gonna threaten your way of life i don't know but i'm i i I do like these um these old monster films but i think i kind of like to stick to like the titans of the monster movies your godzillas your king kongs even the bad sequels but I've looked into the ripoffs, and you know they're fun. And like I said, this is definitely a standout one. Um, but it, it's just kind of cool, like the moments of when they're really trying to rip off Godzilla throughout it. I mean, if somebody don't know this, the very first Godzilla is actually there's a lot of great scientific knowledge in the story. I mean, the original Godzilla. I think I've said this on the show before. Obviously, it, it takes place in post World War II Japan. And so there's all this kind of study of, you know, aftermaths of nuclear war and stuff. And Gorgo tries to do that. It tries to get scientific. But really, in the end, all you want to do is see a giant monster attack London and have people run for the hills. Uh, I I was just reading some fun facts about it. I mean, there's no female cast members except for extras that are running away from the giant monster it's all men making stupid mistakes and i know i'm a guy but like and i know guys get a bad rap now these days and like if you really want to just look at stupid guys on screen perfect movie for you but honestly fun monster movie it's it's not at the forefront but i think it's something you should check off your list if you it's not the forefront for me but Something you should maybe check off your list if you're a fan of big monster movies. And that's Gorgo streaming on Midnight Plus. I'm sure it's streaming at a couple other platforms kind of like this that aren't monthly subscription base. Um, but I would say if you get Midnight Pulp, check it out. All right, next up. 
Now, on Midnight Pulp, there is a ton of cool genre films on there, but they also have some documentaries sprinkled in there. And I, I had heard about this movie years ago and always wanted to scope it out. The trailer, you know, I, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, it's called At the Drive-In, and I'm sure fans of physical media and people who still go to cinemas around the country and, you know, people who like genre films probably have heard of this, like it's especially on the independent level. At the Drive-In was released in 2017, I believe, directed by Alexander Manoli. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, It's about the, I don't know if I want to say world famous, but I feel like a lot of people around the country know about the Mahoning Drive-In in Pennsylvania. Uh, just an iconic drive-in. We had a filmmaker on a few, about a month ago now, Matt Sullivan, who had his film play at a film festival at that exact drive-in. And I, I think it's cool that I watch it now. I mean, this movie's, to my knowledge, five, four or five years old. And, you know, drive-ins kind of had a resurgence during COVID because people couldn't go to the movie theaters, but you could go to a drive-in. I, I only went to one drive-in once here in Florida, the famous Silver Lake Drive-In in Lakeland, Florida, which I highly suggest people check out. It's a, It has a very kind of cool, it feels like a relic, and but it's it's fun. It's a, Drive-ins are fun, and I think this uh, film really captured the atmosphere and just the overall vibe of going to places like this and you know, to kind of see this after the resurgence of them through COVID was was really interesting. I always wanted to check this film out. But there is a plot throughout this documentary. It's not just, you know, hey, come to the drive and check out this cool thing. Um, there's a digital projector that is $50,000 that the, the people at the drive-in are just unable to purchase it. It's, you know, uh, the drive-in theater, the Mahoning, the Mahoning drive-in theater, I guess, was you know very struggling. I, I I don't know where they are right now, but they seem to be doing really well. I think a lot of people have caught on and rallied behind this place since maybe this film's release. Um, I don't know for certain about all that. I don't want to get my facts screwed up, but that's the vibe I get as I've been doing some internet research on this place um, in Pennsylvania. Film fanatics out in Pennsylvania are fighting to keep this dying drive-in theater alive by screening only uh, vintage 35mm film prints and all the staff is working entirely for free. And I just must say, again, you just really feel the love of the environment at a drive-in from the, the people in this film being interviewed and their, their stories and whatnot. And there was just a real nice touch of nostalgia in there for me as well. It's just, it was just fun, beautiful uh, storytelling, true storytelling. And it made me want to just, it made me want to, you know, I mean, I kind of, if I'm going to the movies, I'm probably gonna have to go by myself, at least for the foreseeable future. But it made me really just kind of want to pack things up and go sit in a car and watch something on the big screen at a drive. And um, one of my, I've never been to said drive-in, out in Pennsylvania, but uh, one that was close to me and is still up and running, I believe, is the Northfield Drive-In in Northfield, Massachusetts. It's right on the New Hampshire, uh, Massachusetts state line. I actually think part of that drive-in is technically New Hampshire. I might be wrong about that, but I've always loved just that environment. You know, you 
kind of feel like you're being transported back to the 1950s, 1960s, and to sit there through a double feature and just summer nights at a drive-in. It's just such a beautiful environment, and you can you can kind of feel in this documentary like how passionate uh, these employees are and how, the worry that they have of that feeling that I just described really starting to be taken away from them. Um, so I highly recommend it. Uh, I recommend it more than Gorgo. <laughs> uh, so it, it's a fun little drive-in. So if you get Midnight Pulp, it's a fun little drive-in. It's a fun little documentary at the drive-in. So if you get Midnight Pulp, uh, make that one of your first things to check out. It's just like Gorgo. It's a short film. I think hour 20 minutes it's at, clock's in at. So check that one out. And um, so my third pick on Midnight Pulp is something that I had heard about on a podcast, I want to say, a few months ago. Uh, I think the podcast is called Colors of the Dark. They're on a bit brief hiatus right now. The hosts are filmmakers, and I think they're out making a movie right now. So uh, I think they're off for the summer. But um, yeah, I heard this on Colors of the Dark from one of the co-hosts because they come on, they do interviews. Before they do interviews, they literally just talk about what they watched all week. So when I saw this film pop up on Midnight Pulp, I was play. I kicked, clicked play immediately. This is 1984, January 20th, 1984 in Italy. It was released. Warriors of the Year 2072, which also, I believe, has a different title. This is one of those films with two different titles. The other title of the film was called The New Gladiators. I don't know which one came first, if it was The New Gladiators, uh, but it's currently called Warriors of the Year 2072. But um, I don't really know. But uh, there's actually just a Blu-ray of this that came out. I encourage anybody to maybe go pick up the Blu-ray as well from Severn Films. That boutique does a great work with a lot of your your underground like grindhouse movies that have just like disappeared over the past few years. We're going to go with Warriors of the Year 2072 because I like calling it that, um, even though The New Gladiators is a lot easier to say, but it's kind of generic. What can I say? Uh, this, again, like I said, 1984 release, um, directed by none other than Lucio Fulci. Um, I'm sure a lot of genre film fans who listen to this show know exactly who Lucio Fulci is. If you don't, I will do a quick specification on that. Um, there's really two big genre filmmakers that I think from Italy that I think a lot of people love to mention. One of them is Dario Argento, obviously. The other one is Lucio Fulci. And his films are always, they just reek of these fever dreams. They, they feel like, they just feel like you have no idea what's going on sometimes. I will have to say this. There is a little bit of that in Warriors of 2072. But this is a pretty linear plot. I was able to follow along really well. And this movie is just totally my bag. But before I go into the movie, I want to just give a little bit of a more of a background on a guy like Lucio Fulci. Uh, this guy has made films like City of the Living Dead, The New York Ripper, House by the Cemetery, The Beyond. Um, those are all films that came before this one. Actually, 1981, 1980, and uh, 1982. Uh, one of the big genre films Fulci's known for is Zombie in 1979, which I think was supposed to be like some sort of follow-up to Night of the Living Dead or Italy's answer to that. I 
I, I don't really have, um, <laughs> I don't want to get my facts wrong again on that, but they were trying to make like a Night of the Living Dead sequel and ended up really calling it Zombie. And uh, Zombie has like some of the best uh, death scenes hands down in a in a zombie in a zombie film so check out zombie i think that's streaming on shutter actually um other cool little um fulci films or something like don't torture a duckling is also a really cool flick but let me get back to warriors of the year 2072 maybe i should call this the new gladiators that's getting hard to kind of reset <laughs> Um, so this movie, uh, the, the plot of the film is a global TV network of the future tops its rival hit kill bike with the gladiator type game show battle of the damned. Now the opening scene in this movie is pretty much a, a little excerpt out of their show kill bike. Cause it's this duel of guys on like motorcycles out in, I don't know, some like arena somewhere, some like. I guess it might be, might supposedly be like the Roman Colosseum because the film takes place in Italy also. I think some of the cast is Italian. Some of it is actually uh, American filmmakers uh, or American actors. Fred Williamson is in this. That's kind of the standout American actor that is in this. I don't think he's actually the lead role, but um, anybody who doesn't know Fred Williamson, take a look at it. He's kind of like a notorious... 80s B action movie hero. He's he's he popped up recently in a film called a, a VFW on Shutter about a bunch of you know old guys drinking out of VFW and then they turns into a siege movie and they're their they're their best bet <laughs> and it, Fred Williamson pops up in there and it's just it's just fucking awesome. So if I want to like compare this one to like maybe two other films you may have seen that are a little more popular. I would say this film is kind of a toss up between like 1970 James can James Khan film, um, 1970, I forget, but 1970 something James Khan film, uh, rollerball, which I think got remade, came out like 20 years ago with like LL cool J. It wasn't really that good, but, um, it's kind of like that where it takes place in the future, but, you know, making a movie, unless you're, you know, Ridley Scott making Blade Runner, it's hard to make things look futuristic with films in the 1980s with a very limited budget even. Uh, you know, it says it takes place in the future, but there's, like, not too many things that make you go, wow, the future. <laughs> but it's either, like, a toss-up with something like Rollerball or The Running Man, and... I actually don't mean Stephen King's book. No, Stephen King was actually wrote that book under a different pen name, uh, Richard Bachman. Everybody, any King fans know that. But I'm talking about like the Schwarzenegger Running Man. Uh, it's a little bit of those two tied together. There's there's elements of it that look like something at a rollerball. It's almost like cinematography wise looks the same. And obviously, like having these little mini games that these characters play and have to do. Uh, it, it's, um, it, it's just reminiscent of something like that. If I, I, I don't know if a lot of people have seen rollerball. I sat through it. I don't think it's really that great. I think there's some intriguing things. I think it's way better than the remake, but, um, but it really does turn into running man and probably around the 30 minute mark when things kind of kick in and something about it, like really just, it's very dark, very low lit. You know, these characters, you don't know who's going to live, who's going to die. 
you know are they going to survive this game that they have to play and it yeah it's just very reminiscent of running man that would come out i think like three or four years later was when the arnold schwarzenegger movie came out and well the first time i'm watching this i'm thinking like oh they ripped off running man and i realized this actually came out before the running man um so cool movie i dig it um very low budget and that's the thing with these italian sci-fi action exploitation films of the 70s and 80s the poster art for these movies are so fucking cool they're just i i want to i want every movie like this i want the movie poster on the wall in my room or in my office they're just mm, they're so fucking cool but you're not really getting that vibe in the movie like it's one of those things it's one of those cheap films where the poster is better than the movie so i think with movies like this you have to know that going in like how badass these movie posters look the movie might not be as good but I think the movie's really fun. If you're a Fulci fan, I think it's a cool thing to check out because I don't think a lot of people know that Lucio Fulci directed something like this. And, you know, I, I don't think it's really up front in his filmography. People kind of forgot about this. I, I think he was a I think he was a director for hire on this. I don't think he was a writer. I could be wrong about that. But um yeah, if you're a Fulci fan, you want to see him take a stab at action. There's a lot of cool practical effects, a lot of miniatures. Uh, there's this cool scene, I think, in like the first 10 minutes of like a helicopter supposedly flying around, but you're from like seeing it from the perspective of the helicopter, and it's flying around Rome at night, and it's clearly a miniature of the city of Rome and like the Roman Colosseum. But I don't know. I think it's still fucking, I think it's still cool. And I think it's just. It's just a fun movie if you're into those kind of low-budget films um, that are still trying to have, like, some cool action in it. So that is Warriors of 2072, or 2072, or the New Gladiators, whatever the hell you want to call it. Kick-ass poster and pretty good movie if you're into that kind of thing. So, like I said, I was covering two streaming platforms here today. That's Midnight Pulp. Uh, those are three films off of Midnight Pulp. I'm just going to give you some honorable mentions that maybe just I didn't want to spend too much time harping on. I know I kind of just did five minutes each on these, but um, I have another streaming service I'd like to talk about. But um, another cool thing that's streaming on there is um, uh, there's a lot of cool, like, you know, again, like seven, 60s and 70s horror films that are kind of weird and trippy, but they got cool uh, posters like uh, Swamp of the Ravens, House on Straw Hill. Um, Pieces is on there. I think I talked about Pieces at the top of the show. I already kind of forgot. But um, Pieces is one of the biggest like grindhouse horror films of all time. There's a, they just did a Blu-ray release about that. Um, Highlander, the original Highlander, there can only be one, is streaming on Midnight Pulp. Um, the quiet earth, I should have maybe put this on my top three, but I'm just going to mention it. The quiet earth is a great sci-fi film, uh, from the eighties out of the UK. Uh, that, that, that is, that is such a fun movie. I actually, that's one of those things that that's one of those films I like to revisit from time to time. Um, another one before I move on here is none other than the Velasa pastor. That is that is as crazy of a movie as that title sounds. I'll give you the plot. 
of the Velasa pastor in case you're like, what the fuck? After losing his parents, a priest travels to China where he inherits a mysterious ability that allows him to turn into a dinosaur. At first horrified by his new, by his new power, a prostitute convinces him to use it to fight crime and ninjas. Come on, man. You have got to be down with that kind of movie. That is, that sounds like, that, that is a 71-minute uh, fun fest, it sounds like. Came out in 2019. There, there's a lot of internet chatter about the Velasa pastor, and people were like, what the fuck is this? And I was just like, yo, where can I see this? Well, you can see it on Midnight Pulp. They are not paying me to check it out, but I found it, you know, by accident, and I think it's a cool streaming service. So, another cool streaming platform that I brought you all here from li- to listen to me talk about is, again, like another one owned by the Media Rights Company, Retro Crush, the anime streaming platform that I wanted to talk about. And I just like Midnight Pulp, I just picked a couple three, and I'll have some honorable mentions to maybe mention as well. But there's three films on Midnight Pulp I wanted to come on here and ramble about to you. First up on my list is a 1987 sci-fi horror anime, Lily Cat, and Cat is C period A period T. I forget what the um, I forget why they do it like that, but uh, there is a cat in the movie. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I went into this blind. I think a lot of these movies, for the most part, well. Except for one of them I'm going to talk about in just a minute. But I pretty much just went in blind. Like, you know, this came out in 1987. This is a movie that, honestly, you know, the aesthetic of 80s anime just really tickles my fancy. It's just so my bag. Um, But, you know, if I just see a poster or something, a promotional thing for it, and I go and I can watch it right now, I'll be like, sure, let's check this bad boy out. So the plot of Lily Cat is the crew of an interplanetary spaceship fights for survival after an alien force takes control of their craft. Now I'm going to stop you right there for a minute. Or I should say I'm going to stop myself right there for a minute. Uh, what do you think that sounds like, that plot line, for sci-fi fans out there? I'll take a second. It sounds like Alien, doesn't it? Or it sounds like The Thing, Right? It's basically that tied together. It is Alien meets The Thing as an anime. Um, yeah, it's just a alien, you know, force or not an alien force. I should say like an alien of some sorts. Um, I think what it actually starts as it infects like a cat, and the cat doesn't really die. Just for any of you animal fans out there, I. I I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't know. This was one of the first films I watched like a couple months ago and I wanted to talk about it for this episode, but I don't remember if the cat dies or not, or maybe the cat does die, but it's a cartoon. You can get over it. And if you can't, well, I'm sorry. Actually, no, I, I, I don't know, but, <laughs> but, um, basically I think the cat like bites someone else or something happens and like the crew starts getting infected one by one and they turn into these like alien creatures and then they have to kill off all the crew members and everything. And it, it, so it's basically the thing it's the thing meets alien. Um, if you're into that kind of stuff, uh, it's, it's fun to watch. It, it's a cool, cool anime of that era. And, um, 
it's a short and sweet film as well hour and 20 minutes uh you know obviously knowing how alien or the thing goes it um you can kind of predict what's kind of coming up every now and then throughout the film so there's that thing you kind of got to deal with but i don't know if you want to turn your brain off and um just enjoy anime of that era i would say give it a shot give it a shot especially you know there's nothing really more I can say about this. It's about a cat that turns into an alien and fucks up a crew on a spaceship. And that to me was just an interesting selling point. Um, yeah. So, uh, Lily cat, I thought it was Lily, the cat, but it's Lily cat C period, a period T. I don't know what that's an abbreviation for. Oh, maybe it's, um, doesn't have something to do with the ship. I'm thinking out loud right here on the air. I don't know, but Start there. Check it out. Or you can start with my next one I got for all you, which is honestly a... I got a little bit of a story to tell here before I get going with it. A couple weeks ago, I came on here and talked about kind of how I saw, kind of how I saw Princess Mononoke for the very first time. I think I was homesick when I was like eight or nine years old, and it was playing on the Stars Network or something. Well, uh, I want to say uh, maybe around like a few years later, I want to say I was in like the 8th or ninth, 10th grade. I don't know. It was the early 2000s or some shit like that. And there was a network called Encore, which is a spinoff of Stars, the Stars channel. And Encore also had its own channels like Encore Westerns, Encore Action, Encore Comedy, and one cool thing about the Encore Action Channel, Channel 203, when I had it, I remember the channel too, holy shit, is sometimes they play anime. And I remember coming home from school one day, maybe seventh grade. God, I wish I knew how old I was, but I was definitely a teenager. And I remember like, I just remember the day, it was like a dreary afternoon. I get home, it's like three o'clock, and I'm just like sitting on the couch and one movie ended and led to another and it was an anime movie and it was a little movie called demon city shinjuku now i just remember the the credits starting and i was like what is this this looks badass uh, released in 1988 here's the plot line of it a young swordsman ventures into a disaster-stricken Shinjuku, Tokyo to try and stop a powerful man who has made a deal with the demon realm from opening a portal that will allow demons to cross over into the human world. Um, how fucking cool is that? <laughs> um, so, like, the movie kind of starts with, like, a, um, a prologue uh, with the main character's father, who's this, like, great warrior, and he's killed by the uh, the villain named Rebi Ra. And that person has now opened the portal to hell in the city of Shinjuku. And it falls on the uh, main character named Kayo... I don't want to butcher anybody's names. Kayoya to finish what his father started and battle his way through the demons. While, while at the same time, a, you know... A young damsel in distress gets involved, and you know he wants to protect this young woman from harm. But the only problem is that he's not exactly your classic hero type, and his powers are still latent. He's crazy. He's basically just a guy who knows how to swing a sword around, but he doesn't have like special powers. When I fucking think of like retro anime, I think of this movie. 
I reference it every time. I think a couple times on the show, I literally tried to like say like, hey, have you ever heard of a movie named Demon City Shinjuku? And so, I forget who the guest was. And they were like, yeah, I've seen that. And then we like lost track of the conversation and didn't talk about it. I love this movie. I I just, it's again, it's another short anime film. I think it's like an hour, 20 minutes, just like uh, Lily Cat. And I just sat there. I just I remember the day I saw it on TV, sat through the whole thing. My dad comes home, you know, sees him watching anime. He's like, what the fuck are you watching? And uh, I didn't care. I, I, it's it's a guy with swords fighting demons. It's every kid from the 80s and 90s loves shit like that. And that's me, and that's my bag. Um, the music in it to kind of kick things off really sets the tone well. And I thought this was going to be one of those animes, one of those, or just like an animated film that kind of is an adult animated film uh, with adult themes and violence and whatnot. But you think when you revisit when you're older, you're like, it's not going to hit like how it once did. Oh, it's still fucking hit. I think I might track this movie down for a physical copy. I, I just so much fun. Like, ah, uh, like this. I mean, just the plot line alone. I, I'm going in circles here, I know, but um, the animation of the, the creatures is so much cool. The villain has kind of that cool retro anime look. It's just fun, and I, I love when, you know, I love something also like it's not on it's not on Retro Crush, at least I don't think it is. Uh, Vampire Hunter D kind of has that dark feel to it, and I love that anime as well. I think that's a little... Around the same time, maybe, I don't know what the exact release on that is, but just those dark animes about, you know, demonic things, and they're kind of horror films as well. They, they're they always kind of my bag. So um, Demon City Shinjuku, it's, uh, as I record this right now, look, I, I also may add all the Midnight Pulp suggestions I made and what I'm making right now, I don't know if they're still going to be on there by the time this episode drops. I'm doing this within a week of the episode dropping so if they're not there i'm sorry track them down but if they are still there watch them and as i record this right now demon city shinjuku is on there if by chance it's not on retro crush anymore i don't want to plug a billion dollar company but i think it's streaming on amazon prime anyway um this isn't necessarily a pick of mine but if you want to do a double feature with demon city shinjuku Throw in a little film that I think feels like it's almost the exact same movie. It's called Wicked City. A uh, plotline of that is a secret police force known as the Black Guard protects the boundary between the human world and the demon world. So yeah, and basically it is a perfect double feature with Demon City Shinjuku. I have to um, remind you though. Uh, Wicked City, uh, there is a lot of um, sexual things in it that honestly like might rub people the wrong way in this day and age. Uh, so be alarmed about that. Like I, I was watching this, I, I saw that movie years ago, and I remember just sitting there going like, oh, uh, I don't know how this is going to play with an audience these days. But the action in it is cool, and the the you know the the fighting of demons is cool. But there's like some some sexual things in there where you're like, ah, that's a little uncomfortable. But then again, that's just my taste. Um, I will also, it's funny that I mentioned this also, uh, Demon City Shinjuku and Wicked City, I believe, are directed by the same, yes, they are, 
uh, forgive me if I'm butchering the name, Yosh- Yoshikai Kawajiri. I know I've got that last name wrong, but they're directed by the same people. So I guess I kind of see the similarity in tone and whatnot. Um, so yeah, there we go on that one. And let me get to my final pick for uh, Retro Crush here. So on the platform, they have a, I want to say it's like six films, um, the City Hunter films. Uh, They're released throughout the 1980s in Japan. Um, I'm seeing uh, 1990, 1989. Uh, They did a 2019 kind of reboot and brought the series back. And I think it was a TV show as well, but there was also like a, a movie uh, movie franchise, I guess you say, it's the City Hunter Saga is what they call it, but um, uh, yeah, pretty much like late 90s, late 80s throughout the 90s, they had this um, franchise called, um, oh, I lied, never mind, I'm, I'm just looking at some stuff right now, I'm talking freely, there's one in 1999 that came out also, um, City Hunter, the City Hunter series is what I'm getting at here, <laughs> And I haven't watched all of them. And pretty much it is, to me, honestly, these films are the one or the one I watched. Uh, kind of feels like like a Lethal Weapon movie, but as an anime. So if you're a fan of like 80s and 90s kind of cop action movies where the lead character is a cop and he's, you know, dealing with some bad guys and shit. Or he's got to like protect some girl or something from some bad guys who want her dead or something. I don't know, shit like that. Uh, the City Hunter movies are definitely, like, probably your back. Like, I, I think they're, if Lethal Weapon were an anime, I would probably call them the City Hunter movies. I only watched a few of them. Only one of them I'm going to talk about real quick is City Hunter 357 Magnum. Plot of that is a beautiful pianist comes to Tokyo for a charity concert, and City Hunter is there. But music isn't the forte. He wants lessons in the language of love. Desperation becomes a word of the day as the bodies start dropping. Um, so basically he falls in love with some musician that, uh, you know, comes in, performs, and then there's like an assassination attempt on her. Air. I think it's like on her, but then they like kill her father or something. And he's got to like have her protected and whatnot. And he falls in love with her. And like, you know, he's got like a team of guys around, team of guys and girls around him as well. And, you know, they're kind of like his sidekicks. And I mean, that's really it. And there's like a lot of cool gunfights, chases, all that fun shit you see in kind of like, you know, cop action movies of the 80s and 90s. And it's translated well into Japanese animation. Uh, There are a few other ones in the saga as well, which I'll mention right now. Um, City Hunter Bay City Wars. That's literally only a 45-minute movie. Uh, City Hunter Private Eyes, which was that 2019 reboot uh, that they did to the franchise, a new one, and um, a couple other ones here. Uh, City Hunter Death of Rio Sabia, if I'm saying that right. City Hunter million dollar conspiracy and one other holy shit there's more than i thought there were (laughs) city hunter goodbye my sweetheart uh city hunter uh secret service holy fuck um okay that's it i was just scrolling through a few of them and obviously it's based off of a tv show that came out in 1987 and they made some uh 
they made some spinoffs with movies. Uh, the City Hunter character, I don't, I forget the guy's real name, but he goes by City Hunter. Uh, very much is like, he's part uh, Dirty Harry, part uh, uh, Riggs from Lethal Weapon, um, part, I don't even really know what else. Uh, the, the thing is that they also tie into these movies is that anime uh, comedy that doesn't sometimes always hit for me actually it never really hits for me I, I that's one thing i don't like anime is when it tries to be funny and then they do like the silly faces on the character i'm not an expert on what necessarily you call that in technical terms but um <laughs> it's not really my bag but you, you see it in in the show and in the movies a few times but um it's fun no they're they're fun films they're fun little action films and um yeah that's that's it. That's all I got to say about it. Uh, Retro Crush, again, like, I've waited for a streaming platform for this for a while. Like, where can I find... I mean, I think Funimation has one, and you got to pay for it. And the thing is, is, like, I already have a ton of streaming platforms that I pay for. So, sorry, Funimation. I'm, I'm not going to do it. And I think there is an upgrade for Retro Crush, maybe. Um, I'm looking at their app right now, and I think there's, like, yeah, stuff that's, like, there is a premium, uh, $4.99 a year, and I'm sure you get just, like, extra stuff and whatnot uh, through the app, so that's kind of cool. Um, but just some things I wanted to kind of maybe spotlight that I didn't say right now, but you got stuff like uh, Astro Boy. Everybody loves Astro Boy. Check that shit out. Um, their TV shows are fucking cool. They have the Street Fighter movies and whatnot. Um, ooh, Demon City Shinjuku right there on the front page. Uh, Fatal Fury, which is always... I fucking love Fatal Fury. I hadn't really watched it, so I didn't want to talk about it on the show. But um, Sonic the Hedgehog on there as well. They have some dramas on there. Nothing, No, no, studio, no studio Ghibli, but they... They kind of have a lot of obscure and like action sci-fi stuff. Like a couple Appleseed movies are on there as well. Yeah, highly recommend it. And I also should add most of this stuff. I believe if not all, most of these films and TV shows have both dubbed and subbed uh, versions on there of the content. So, hey, sometimes I like my anime with subtitles and I'll listen to it in the... In the actual language that it was produced in and sometimes hey what can i say i'm a lazy american and i want to listen to it in english so whatever your preference is with the audio formatting um it's there on retro crush for you so please check these two streaming platforms out i also think i can't necessarily speak to what tvs out there on the market are like that but i like i mentioned i believe at the top of the show i'm already forgetting what i talked about in the first 10 minutes i've been rambling for a long time but um, there is, I think on like, on my Samsung smart TV, like the midnight pulp channel is on there and I can watch what's actually live playing on the app on my TV. And I think I have one for retro crush also. Um, so yeah, check these streaming platforms out. Check if you have a smart TV and you've got that situation, like I got, be sure to check it out. There's fun kind of midnight movies and there's fun ant retro anime on there you can check out as well if that is your bag and if it is not i'm sorry you listened to me for going on like 55 ish minutes in this episode so with all that being said 
We'll be back next week with a guest for the basement. I know it's been a couple weeks without one, but hey, you know, sometimes, like I said, I like to do an episode by myself and just talk about some stuff that maybe you should check out if you're a movie fan. So be sure to leave a rating and a review on for the podcast wherever you listen to it. And yeah, I'll see you guys next week. Take care.